Well, here in First Timothy 4 and 5, we've got a lo- just a, a long list, really, of practical advice and encouragement from Paul to Timothy and, and to the, uh, the ecclesias that Timothy was, was involved with. And there's a theme that comes out to me from First Timothy, and particularly from these two chapters, and it is that the whole process of spiritually helping others is designed for our benefit. And that by trying to serve others and trying to help others come to God's kingdom, we ourselves are built up. Now, chapter 4, verse 6, If you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, you shall be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. So, I think what he's uh, saying then is that if you teach others and if you try to uh, build them up and put them in remembrance of, uh, of, of these things you will be nourished up yourself so we grow by our efforts for others now, you may think well I'm not a speaker it's not for me yes it, it all makes sense that yes if you have to prepare a, a talk about something or other uh, a piece of exposition well yeah sure you probably benefit more than the, the people who hear you because you have to put in that much more study etc but what about me I'm not a speaker or whatever well yeah but the principle is still there the principle is still there that in the effort we make for others to help them reach the kingdom in various ways and of course platform speaking is only one of them then we are ourselves built up and I think it's in that context that he talks verse 7 about exercise yourself unto, unto godliness all these commands to Timothy are in the context of how he was to run the ecclesia and in the AV it says exercise thyself that is you singular it's talking specifically to Timothy and so by uh, refusing uh, the fables and uh, wrong teaching and trying to do the right thing for the majority in, in the ecclesia Timothy would exercise himself personally to godliness would build up his spiritual uh, muscles as it were and you got the same idea in chapter 4 verse 16 take heed unto yourself and again the AV thyself this is to Timothy personally take heed unto yourself and unto uh, the teaching that is uh, the doctrine the AV says continue in them for in doing this you shall both save yourself and them that hear you so by taking heed to how he was teaching what he was teaching he was in the end going to save himself as well as others so our salvation the whole process of our salvation is in a sense tied up with others now in the context of Timothy you see there verse 13 until I come give attendance to reading to exhortation or to comfort uh, and to doctrine to, uh, to, to teaching when he says uh, to give attendance to reading I don't think we should imagine Paul saying yeah Timothy you know get you a big pile of uh, deep study books and keep slogging away at it read through them one after another to build up wonderful points that you can share <coughs> with, uh, with other people I don't think so the vast majority of Christians in the first century would have, would have been illiterate 
literacy rates were about 5% at best in the Roman Empire, and they were about 2%, it's reckoned, in, in Galilee. And so the majority of the Christians, according to 1 Corinthians 1, especially in, in Corinth, were, were the poor. It was to the poor, the uneducated, the women, the slaves, that Christianity spread. And so we can safely say that the majority of early Christians were illiterate. And so when Paul wrote a letter, it was read out. And that's why he, he talks about that in, uh, in how he signs off some of, uh, some of the letters. And so he's telling Timothy to give a lot of attendance to his reading. Maybe Timothy also was not that literate, but it needed someone who could read so that they could read the scriptures to these early converts. And so I think Paul is saying, look, slog, keep slogging away at learning how to read and uh, giving the sense when you publicly read. Uh, it's rather like slogging away at learning a, a foreign language. And it was by doing those things, by exhortation, by comfort, by speaking to the heart, is the, uh, I think the Hebrew idea that's coming through there in the, in the Greek, um, t teaching others, then this will in fact, Paul says, save you as well as those who hear you. And incidentally, I think you see there the importance of teaching, the importance of correct understanding, because he seems to connect it there with, uh, with salvation. You've got the same theme continuing in chapter 5, verse 4. If any widow have children or nephews, the AV says, but uh, I think the, the word can also mean grandchildren, let them learn first to show piety or worship or godliness at home and to recompense their parents. So he's saying... But don't, uh, don't support uh, widows who've got relatives, children or grandchildren, because they have got to learn godliness in the home by looking after their parents. Now, looking after parents, or all the things to do with, uh, with family life, we, we can easily uh, try to get round. We dislike, I suppose, ultimately, the, the practical side of, uh, of the ties that bind. And yet, I think that what Paul is saying is that it's exactly by exercising ourselves in family life, at home, that we actually learn what he calls learning piety, learning godliness, at home. And, and you could uh, argue that what he's saying is you actually learn your worship of God or Eusebia, that's the, uh, the word translated piety there, your, your godliness, your worship of God, you learn that at home, before you go out to church, before you go to the ecclesia. The essential uh, arena, if you like, of learning spirituality is in, in family life. It's in your domestic situation. And so, by, by looking after your parents or grandparents, you would learn godliness. So again you see that theme, that by serving others, you learn. 
And seeing that this is a, uh, a theme, uh, as we're going to develop a, a few more thoughts about this, um, that, that this is a theme in Timothy, I wonder if what I've just said there about uh, chapter 5, verse 4, I wonder if that sheds light on chapter 2, verse 15. I know it's not in our chapters, but you may like to just go back and have a look at it. Uh, talking about woman, chapter 2, verse 15, Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing, or through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with sobriety. Now, I've come across a number of different uh, attempts to explain that, and uh, to be honest, I, I didn't find any of them really clinched it for me. But looking at the fact that he's mentioning a number of times in this letter, that through your service to others, you actually learn spirituality and even come to your own salvation, as he said in chapter 4, verse 16, by your efforts for others. I wondered if, quite simply, what 2 verse 15 means is that the woman, that is, the believing woman, is saved herself in the process of raising the children by, if she continues in faith and, and charity and holiness, uh, in, in raising those children, she, as it were, comes to salvation herself. And there's a number of women, I, uh, sisters I know, who've said that to me, that, yeah, sure, I kind of believe, but not that strongly, but it wasn't until I had children and had to raise them and realized I had to raise them in the Lord that I came to realize what it was all about, and that I came to life spiritually. That would, as I say, fit in with chapter 4, verse 16, where Timothy is told that by your efforts for others, in his context teaching them, you will both save them and yourself. And the woman too, chapter 2, verse 15, will be saved through childbearing and child-raising that all that work that goes into that, um, if it's done with, as it should be, with, with the intention of, of raising a child in the Lord, then that very often is the woman's salvation. It, it, the whole process of it. And it's in the, and what that would be saying, and what chapter 5 verse 4 would be saying, is that in the, the humdrum stuff of family life, of life within the home arena, that is actually what uh, is used by God, as he says there, chapter 5, verse 4, to teach us godliness, that we might learn piety or godliness at home by looking after elderly relatives. And it's the same with raising little children uh, in the Lord. Now, another example then, Going on, chapter 5, verse 18, he talks about uh, elders. He says, the scripture says, verse 18, you shall not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. Well, the idea, uh, as I understand it, is that the corn represents God's word, the, uh, the bread of life. And the ox is uh, going around treading this stuff out, treading out the corn and every now and again the ox would eat a bit of the stuff that he's been treading out 
and they were told, don't stop the ox doing that, don't muzzle the ox. Let him have a mouthful every now and again of that which he himself has trodden out. And the treading out of the grain is, verse 17, uh, being uh, an elder who is labouring in the word of God and in teaching it. Labouring in the word and, and the teaching or the doctrine. And so there's, a, there's a, a connection between what the, the ox is treading out and what it eats. And I think that that's significant because, again, you're up against the same idea. That in the same way as the ox eats what it treads out, the elder who labours in the word and doctrine, treading out the corn, will himself eat of it and is not muzzled in doing that so again you've got this idea you eat what you grind for others if you grind stuff for others you yourself will live of that you will take mouthfuls of it for yourself so then I think that this uh, theme is, uh, is fairly common here in Timothy and if you let me just give you one more example uh, chapter 3 verse 13 he talks about deacons and a deacon is a servant they that have used the office of a servant or a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus purchase to themselves a good degree well the Greek is rather difficult there but we can't of course purchase a, a good place in God's kingdom which I think is what is in, in mind here we can't do that by our works in one sense in one sense it's a penny a day which we're all given by absolute grace and yet it is I think also true that although salvation itself is a pure gift the exact nature of the life that we will eternally live in God's kingdom is to some extent determined by the effort that we make now. And so those who use the office of uh, a deacon or a, a servant well, that is, as it's intended to, they themselves, through the process of serving others, are getting for themselves a good place in God's kingdom. And what he calls great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. It may seem a, a purposeful, I think, juxtaposition of ideas of, of a servant, a deacon, and great boldness. And yet that makes sense, that the more you serve others, and if you do it, he says, well, then you yourself will be bold in the faith which is in Christ and it's that confidence, that's the idea of the Greek word translated boldness it's that confidence that we all ultimately need before God uh, you know how, how First John 2 uh, talks about having, uh, sorry First uh, John 4 talks about having confidence before him at his coming and not being ashamed that's what we want, to be able to be in a position whereby we can meet the Lord Jesus at his coming and not slink away, but be confident in his love, by faith, our faith in his love. 
And we're told here that whoever uses this office of a servant or a deacon well enables themselves to have that boldness. So then, just to take some practical example. There's a, a bloke who goes out of work and he comes home at 6, 7 o'clock in the evening and instead of watching the telly, he, uh, he does a Bible reading with his six-year-old daughter. And then by nine o'clock, the, his wife has maybe helped the, the, the kids to all get to bed, and the, it's just him and his wife. And he does that Bible reading again with her. Who benefited? Well, of course, the daughter did and the wife did. But the guy who didn't think, well, I, uh, I read the Bible for myself in my lunch break at work, and I also read it with my six-year-old daughter... I think that's about it for today with me and my Bible reading. I mean, I, I've read my Bible reading today. But the one who thinks, no, I'm the head of, the, uh, of, the, of my, my wife. I'm trying to help her to come to the kingdom. That's what I signed up to when I got married to her. Okay, honey, let's read the Bible together for a bit uh, before we go to bed. He, he's read, for let's say, for the third time that day. Now... You may say these are facile examples, but that is what family life and daily life, and if you don't have a family, that the whole uh, life of caring for others, that's what it's all about. It's not a case of, well, I read the Bible today for myself, so I'm all right. Okay, good for you, you did. But the other bloke didn't. So, you know, get on and read with him or her. And by doing that, who in the end is made even stronger? Well, it's you. It's you. Uh, and the whole process, I think, of helping others helps us to uh, contextualize and understand and, and verbalize the whole, uh, our whole faith much better. I think that's one advantage of preaching and the sense of sharing our faith with others. In, in fact, I think you could say that we only really become fully conscious of what we believe when we have to explain it to somebody else, out loud and in words. Otherwise, it can all become very abstract and very internal, just within the human mind. That I've understood these ideas, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I understand that, I believe that. This is a whole problem, I think, with Bible reading, that we, uh, we read a verse and we sort of hum and haw and think, ah, yeah, I sort of, yeah, yeah, I get that one, yeah, yeah, I know what that's saying. Okay, next verse, mm, yeah, yeah, I understand that. And yet, if I were to say to you, stop, explain that verse out loud, can you? Um, uh, you know, you have to think, and it's in that process of explanation, particularly when it is a case of trying to persuade another person of Jesus, uh, and of the reality of forgiveness of sin and salvation at the last day, as you try to persuade someone else of that, you yourself become more persuaded about your own salvation. And so this is why Paul, throughout these letters, particularly you see this to the Thessalonians, he keeps saying that he so looks forward to seeing them in the kingdom. He says, you are, he says to the Thessalonians, you are our joy and crown at that day. And he's talking about the day of the coming of Jesus. That he also says, we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Because he'd expended so much effort 
in thinking about them, imagining their situation, writing to them, praying for them, worrying about them, trying to figure out how best it would be to, to do things for them. Because of that, when Jesus comes back and the Thessalonians, let's say, go into the kingdom in that day, as Paul sees that happening, his joy will be so much greater than if he had just thought, well, I've met Jesus, I've repented, I've been baptized, I know the truth about him, I just get on with my tent-making business or whatever he, he was doing, I'm just fine. So the more effort you make to, in an outgoing way, interact with your brothers and sisters uh, and consciously try to help them to God's kingdom, uh, and this, as I've said, uh, and as Paul brings out here in, in uh, Timothy, talking about family life, uh, the more you really try for others, the more you yourself are helped towards God's kingdom. And this opens for me a window onto the, the marvellous question, really, about how did Jesus kind of pull it off? How did he, as we see him there now on the cross, uh, perfect, that perfect mind inside that uh, terribly tortured body. How did he do it? How was it that he was perfect when he had our nature? Uh, and I know the answer to that is multifactorial. How did he manage to do it? But I think that one one of the, the, the ways, if you like, that he did it was that he went into life consciously thinking that I am doing this in order to save others. He was the ultimately unselfish person. Paul again says to the Thessalonians, You know what kind of men we were among you for your sakes. And I don't think that he was being hypocritical, that he was saying, yeah, well, we acted a certain way just so you didn't get offended, or just to say you guys are a good example, even though our hearts were far away from, from really be acting like that. I don't think that's what he means at all. I think he's saying that we were, the, the men that we were, we acted in the way that we did for your sake, so that you would be saved. And in a bigger, on a bigger scale, that's just what Jesus did that he acted, or he was, the person he was, so that we would be saved. It's rather like when you have kids, you, you stop um, swearing under your breath or doing things that you, you shouldn't do, really, um, because you realize that, well, I'm an example now to these little minds and ears that are watching. It doesn't mean that you're a hypocrite. It, it means that you just you change because you realize that you have a responsibility to others, uh, and you, or you appreciate that stronger than you did before. And so it is, uh, as I say, above all things with Jesus, not that he had any sin to sort of uh, quit, but he was who he was for us. And so I think if I were Jesus, I might have thought, you know, the best thing to do is just go away into a monastery and lock myself up and, I don't know, get someone to bring me food and I'll just concentrate on being good and give me a Bible and, and that, you know, and I'll try and be good. I'll really, really try hard. 
I'll get plenty of sleep because I get a bit cranky when I'm tired. I won't allow myself any stressful situation so that I don't get stressed because I tend to sin when I'm stressed. I'll just keep myself out of any stressful situation, etc. And then when the time comes, yes, I will take a knife and slip my throat and be done with it. I think that might have been my idea. But you see that Jesus went right the opposite. He put himself in stressful situations. He went, you know, without sleep for ages. He, he put himself in situations where he was provoked and the people are hungry haven't got anything to eat you know yeah we'll send them away he's done his job preaching to them that's your problem you go feed yourselves oh no let's do something else let's do a miracle and we know that he felt uh, power going out of him energy going out of him every time he did a miracle Um, so it, it seems to me that this is one key one answer to the question how did Jesus do it? I think he did it because he went into life not uh, seeking his own, uh, as it were, his own personal salvation, but he went into life 101%, as it were, for us. Not trying to keep himself out of stressful situations, but, but throwing himself totally into humanity and ultimately becoming obedient to death even to the death of the cross.